here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley. I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I would like to take this time to uh, smoke one for our dearly lost uh, former podcast recorder hangouts on air. I miss it a lot already. It's a it was a great service and it will be missed but other than that you know i'm all right i apologize in advance for any time this recording that y'all hear thunder because somehow a huge a huge butt thunderstorms coming through here but how are you aaron good just uh smoking a whole damn pack over here and i'm feeling really good right now well i'm not sure if i'm feeling really good or really bad uh because here's what i did the hour before this podcast started I decided I wanted a slushy drink, and the only place I could think of to go was Sonic to get one, and it was like a 25-minute drive to get there, so I mean, I spent probably an hour driving there, waiting for it, driving back. It seemed really dumb by the time I got back. Was it at least a good slushy? Yeah, it was oh. excellent. I mean, I love well, slushies. Anyway, that's me. Uh, we're also joined. By Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Hello, Aaron and Mike. I'm happy to be here smoking a whole damn pack on this new uh, this new video chat gimmick we've got going on. I was trying to think of the farthest I've driven to get, like, a particular food stuff. And there is, like, there is, like, particularly good pizza I'll drive, like, you know, 20 minutes out of the way uh, on a rare occasion to get that pizza instead of whatever's local. But definitely would not do it for a slushy. Those are pretty interchangeable to me. Well, I mean, I couldn't even think of another place to go to get one. I mean, I'm really anti-icy. Oh, wow. So not at even movie theaters? No, I don't do the icy. Oh, man, that's my jam. I go get a big blue raspberry icy, and I look like a complete and utter pervert when I come out of there with like a bright blue <laughs> tongue. So. He's just a really big Liv Morgan fan. What about yeah. a 7-Eleven? What's that, Nate? A slushy from 7-Eleven? Yeah, that would work. We just don't have those. Oh, okay. Hmm. What I love, my favorite thing is the slush puppy. Like, with the dog, the blue logo. Sounds southern to me. It may be. They used to have them at gas stations everywhere. Where I originally came to love them was when I played t-ball. After every game, if we won, we got to go get, we were sponsored by the local gas station across the street from the ballpark. (laughs) We would get to go get a free slushy, slush puppy. If we want. Yeah. Uh, slush puppies are a thing in the South at the gas stations that aren't 7-Elevens. Like, I definitely remember having some slush puppies in my day. So that's probably a knockoff slushy, really. Or Slurpee. Excuse me. Slurpee. Yeah. Luckily, 
my last year at T-Ball, we went undefeated in the regular season and the playoffs. Huge. Congrats to you and the whole Thank you. And the gas station across the street. <laughs> Sorry Thank for the you. gas station across the street for having to go through so much syrup. Yeah, because we yeah, we won every game that year. What a year that was. <laughs> that was that was my peak right there. <laughs> you were in peak physical position there in T Ball, you know. Yeah, five years old. <laughs> I was thinking you were like eight at least, but five? Oh, oh wow. At eight years old I was playing, you know, with a pitcher. For using the T at eight, then people look at you funny. Yeah, that's it's bad. <laughs> I anyway. played soccer all through life. Whenever I've played like bat and ball games, I've gotten injured in terrible ways. So yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Five year olds play T ball. I guess you play coach bitch. There we go. I will not uh, regale the listeners further with my athletic endeavors, especially at age five, man. Come on, <laughs> what have you done in the last thirty hey. years of your life? Hey, buddy, flags fly forever. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, make sure that you are following the champions on Twitter at everything AEW. If you want a real champion, it's at Aaron Like the Car. T ball champs also won a Pee Wee basketball championship. So, yeah. Didn't you just say you were not going to regale us further? Yeah, I couldn't contain myself. Fair. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. We, all, we also went undefeated that year. Anyway. All right. So, one of our co hosts is a big giant showboat, Nate. Have you figured out how to cut stuff in this new software that we're using, Mike? You know how to edit all this out? Oh, yeah. No, this is all going out of post. I'm just going to send this clip to SB and say, This is what your husband was up to tonight. <laughs> all right. Mike is at Fujiheya on Twitter. That's like Don Fuji, two eyes. And Nate is at Epitasis, of course. The show is at Everything AEW. I think I said that. Make sure you are following us. Make sure you subscribe to the show. You can get our feed independently. Just search Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice or subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling podcast network and you can get our show along with all the other shows on the network. And if you're on iTunes, leave us a rating and review. I'm sure uh, Nate is going to tell us if we got any new ones since last week. Here's what we're going to talk about. Some more info on the AEW TV on TNT debut. We're going to talk about tickets going on sale, uh, some more things we've learned about that. We're going to talk about All Out. we got a new match that's official, and there was a new episode of The Road to All Out this week. Uh, Vince McMahon taking some shots at AEW. Let's talk about that a little bit. I have a few talent notes, a few people coming. Uh, I was going to say and going, but I don't think anybody's going. And Nate, of course, will recap the most recent BTE for us. So let's start with what we now know about the first television show, on October 2, coming up, it's going to be in uh, the District of Columbia at the Capital One Arena. Tickets are going to go on sale tomorrow, Friday, August 2nd, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. What we know so far, Cody versus Sammy Guevara, the Bucks and Kenny versus Chris Jericho and two mystery partners. John Moxley will appear on the show. And AEW is going to crown its first women's champion on the show that came out today as reported by sports illustrated so let's start there nate what do you think about what we know about this card so far is it going to be enough to uh, sell out this place and get a bunch of people to watch it i think it looks pretty good the um, second pair of announcements there were better than the initial announcement which was cody versus sammy guevara uh, i am a sammy guevara guy but that was not like a you know marquee match really that people are chomping at the bit to see. Uh, but the 
Chris Jericho, six-man match is interesting. Having mystery people on your first show is a good, easy hook because that draws in people, maybe, you know, maybe WWE fans. I want to see if somebody's jumping from there or you know, just casual people who are interested in a little bit of intrigue there. Uh, Jericho did make a post on his Instagram that did sort of support the idea that these are probably people coming from the outside. Uh, you know, This is probably not the Lucha Brothers because we've seen them a fair amount. So that's something to discuss as well. The interesting thing with the women's champion being crowned here is how are we going to decide how that's done? Is, are there going to be tournament matches on All Out now? Because we don't have any other shows between now and the first TV. So I would be interested to see if that's what they end up doing. Yeah. And off the top of my head, I don't think they've really announced any women's matches for All Out unless I'm blanking on something. So unless we're going to get like first round matches or title contender eliminators or whatever weird gimmick they're calling for their championship now, they don't have a whole lot of time to build it up because something we knew about the women's division and All Out was that they're going to debut the title so that'll be interesting i'm gonna put this out in the universe i know that someone listens to the show have a woman cybernetico that would be different it would be something completely new you get a whole lot of fresh matchups in there and you know for some people that you kind of just want to have like the legend pop and that's it you could have it there so i don't know do like a 10 woman cybernetico just get how many people you can get over from ddt bring over bring over b and just have everyone in cybernetico but the rest of the Rest of the show, you know, I mean, Cody versus Sammy G, people are acting like it's not a big deal. I mean, they're just, they, they, they have to have matches. And I think that Sammy Guevara is really kind of one of those the unsung people on the promotion so far. And yeah, no, it's smart having the first main event just be the Elite versus Jericho and two mystery partners. I have my own hopes for who I hope this is going to end up being. And if Jericho's already hinting that it's people from the outside, I mean, Rumor mill will go rampant over the next few weeks. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting on-sale day. It's just, you know, tomorrow kind of springs up on it. And, I mean, a lot of the guys are already going to be in Mexico for that show or when it goes on sale. So, it'll be interested to see what they have cooked up for tomorrow. When they say that Moxley is going to appear, do we think that just means he's going to appear or will he have a match? I'm going to lean just on making an appearance because that's the language they used when Jericho just made his appearance at Fight for the Fallen. So I think if he were definitely wrestling a match, they would have said John Moxley will be in action or some something like that. Um, so, you know, but he probably would have been a pretty big draw for a top match also. But I also think it's smart. Just don't give away big matches all the time. I mean, this is a big show and you certainly want to draw a bunch of eyeballs first time out. But you also want to string people along and say, hey, you want to see him wrestle? You got to check back in next week or whatever. Um on the women's match, and we'll discuss this later also, uh, if they do like an eliminator at All Out or something like that, do, we don't know if Britt Baker is going to be cleared because she seemed to have a severe concussion. She's recuperating now, as we learned in BTE. But, um, you know, if she's going to be in, in their plans for the top title there, uh, you know, that might throw a wrench into them doing it at All Out or setting it up at All Out. Well, I think as far as Moxley goes, I think what they're doing is, Let's see if we can just kind of announce this and still sell most of these tickets on Friday. And if not, they can always go back and announce some big match with Moxley if they feel like they have to move tickets. So we know, uh, based on reporting from Dave Meltzer, that the building is being set up for 14,000 tickets. Oh boy, that's a lot. <laughs> a lot of tickets. Uh, as Dave said, something that WWE these days only does for its biggest pay-per-view shows. So this is a 
this is a huge undertaking to try to sell all these tickets. Here's what they are doing for ticket prices. 250 bucks for the first three rows. You get uh, a commemorative seat that you can take home with you if you buy those. And then the tickets go 90 bucks, 75, 50, 35, and the cheapest tickets are 20. We haven't seen a seating chart, so I don't exactly know where think those Matt, seats are. I think Matt Jackson just tweeted one like within the last hour or something. Okay, I haven't seen that. But basically, the cheapest tickets are 20 bucks, goes up to 250 for ringside. And I think it's interesting that Dave talks about this, that with all in and double or nothing uh, and all out, they, they underpriced based on ticket demand. But these are actually closer to WWE Raw prices. So seems to look like, I mean, they're still giving you a cheap way to get in the building, but the ticket prices jump up pretty quickly. And you know, it's a large amount if you want to sit real close. But I guess the question from this, based on ticket prices, the how much uh, capacity we know the building has. Dave is talking about, you know, anything under two, 6,000 would be bad. Anything over 9,000 would be great. Some people within the company think it's going to be an instant sellout. I think a good over-under for this is 10,000 tickets. Can they sell more than 10,000 tickets tomorrow? Tomorrow? No, I don't think so. I think eight to nine is realistic. I'm looking at the chart right now. And you can get on the floor for $50, but you're away from the ring at $50. Like they, the, 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 this does look like a WWE seating chart. It's on a Wednesday, which is just a tough night. And it's just like, I'm looking at just the chart right now. And yeah, you can get in the building for $20, but you're going to be sitting in the upper bowl. There's a couple $35 seats that are either in the corners or pretty high up opposite what I assume is going to be the entrance way. But you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, two fifty for a for a collector's chair is also I don't know for for like the debut TV show. Maybe it's because it's something, but I just don't necessarily see it being an instant sellout. I mean, but I very well could be wrong. So who knows? The two fifty tickets are definitely going to go immediately. Those are going to be like the first tickets that sell out probably because the, it's the super fans that have really supported this product. I think and and followed it around. Um, and this is like the one instance where a collector's commemorative chair might actually be worth something because it is a first event. It's not fucking, you know, every, every three month pay-per-view or it's not a, you know, Royal Rumble from Royal Rumble from 2008 that nobody could ever possibly care about. So that those tickets I'm sure will go. Uh, I think it is smart to have the cheap tickets so you can get as many people in the building as possible. And yeah, Dave also noted WWE barely got 10,000 for that big raw reunion with like literally everyone that's been a draw for them, like uh, Hulk Hogan and Steve Austin and everybody that could ever possibly be uh, perceived as a draw except the rock maybe. So 10,000 uh, on the day of the show has to be like considered a success. I think they probably get there by the day of the show. If it's going to be immediate, um, I, I guess I would uh, wager conservatively that uh, just below that is probably more realistic in a single day. Yeah, it's worth pointing out that all the instant sellouts they've had, the ways that they've sold tickets really quickly, have all been on weekends. And some of them, all in, all out, on holiday weekends. And now we're talking about a Wednesday night, as Mike pointed out, going to make it much harder. So on one hand, I'm 
I'm skeptical. But on the other hand, they have sold out every single one of these events almost immediately. I know not uh, Fight for the Fallen, but I view that a little differently. These big events, they sold out immediately. Would you be stunned if you get online at noon tomorrow and by 1230, all the tickets are gone? 14,000? I would give it like a wow. I'd give it a wow. I would not be stunned or catatonic. I'd be like, well, you know, that's you know, they've continually sold a lot of tickets. So it'd get a wow from me. Yeah, pretty stiff wow out of me as well. I think that just 14,000 for a Wednesday, just to me, is just wrapping my head around it. I think it's going to be difficult. And that's why I was really surprised to see that they were going for these big, large arenas. Like I know that we talked a couple of weeks ago about them talk about them going for these arenas instead of like the four to six thousand seat arenas that Tony Khan talked about before. So that's yeah, why it's, it's the first it's the first TV. So they went okay. big for the first one. I think uh there was I think Dave or somebody discussed that it's not gonna be, you know, big NBA arenas week after week after week. Mm. Well fair enough. I mean, but still fourteen thousand tickets, like that'd be with the exception of like a WrestleMania be like the most tickets for a wrestling event sold in one day since Double or nothing, I would say. So, yeah, be big. And also, double or nothing, that was a that was Memorial Day weekend, too. So, another example of them doing like holiday weekends or weekends just all together. I'm going to take the side that they sell all the tickets tomorrow. All right, bold. I'm coming down there. I just, <laughs> I was skeptical of All In. I was skeptical. I can't remember if I was skeptical of Double or Nothing or not, but I was definitely skeptical of All In. And they've just done it time and time again. So I think they're going to sell them all tomorrow. All right. The next important thing is going to be after we figure out how many tickets they sell is how many people are going to watch this thing on TV because uh, 14,000 people is not going to help them uh, as far as what kind, of, what kind of ratings they're going to do on TNT. So according to uh, Dave Belzer, the people in the television industry that he's talked to are expecting about 500,000 viewers. That's kind of the, the baseline of what they're looking for. We talked about this a little bit, uh, I think last week. We kind of really didn't know where to base it. So at least now we have a baseline that's coming from within the industry. Of course, we talked about all the great metrics that they've done, all the tickets they've sold, the great numbers they've done on BR Live. But nothing about that has shown the ability to put together like a million people. And when we're talking about the actual numbers they're going to have to do week after week as this thing gets more solid, it's going to have to be in the millions of viewers. So if you look at some old products, we talk about ECW, they were apparently doing around a million. Of course, that was on a weaker channel, but in an easier television environment, a totally different time. It was um, also on Friday at evenings too. So Right. We talk about TNA. They were doing at their peak uh, one and a half to two million. But of course, as Dave points out, that was with Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Sting, Jeff Hardy. Of course, even toward the end of the TNA on real TV days, they were still doing a million. So these are the kind of things that we can look at to figure out where we see AEW coming out. To me, if they do 500,000 viewers on the first show, that can only be viewed as a uh, as a failure, and it portends poorly, I think, going forward. Um, I know we're not television numbers experts. We haven't kind of looked at all these, uh, every show that's 
on TNT and every show that's on TV right now. But is there a number that jumps out to you as like, this is what they've got to be doing or things are going to go poorly quickly? I think the eventual steady goal has to be 1 million, I guess. I mean, I, I think they, because if, if I have to, if Spike TV could get TNA back now at a million, they'd be thrilled with it. Right. Like, uh, so I, and I think they do better than TNA, you know, if you adjust for the different sort of television market that we're in, because this promotion has way more momentum than TNA ever did. It's selling way more tickets than TNA ever did. And I have to imagine that that ticket buying audience represents a, uh, greater buy-in and a greatest inter- greater interest level than TNA had. Um, albeit, you know, Jeff Hardy and, and these other people were stars when they jumped to TNA. I'm going to say their first TV does like 800,000 or something. I don't know. I guess I'm being the negative one today because I'm thinking first TV gets seven to 750 just because of we talked a couple of weeks ago, it might have been last week. This last week's felt like it's been three. But it, we've talked about how there's going to be a Major League Baseball playoffs going on at the same time. So Turner's cross-promotion won't necessarily be the strongest if there is a American League Championship Series game going on at that point. But then again, if it's already in the World Series at that point, I think all the World Series games this year are on Fox. So not a problem for them in that regard. I think, though, that... When you look at the stars that they have here and bringing people out, I mean, we, we do see these great numbers that they did for the uh, BR Live shows and how BR Live is building and building and building. But that's also su- such a dedicated fan base that will go over to this and it's already been given free wrestling. Like how many more can you add to it on a first night show with the exception of Cody uh, John Moxley and Chris Jericho, not a whole lot of what would be North American branding talent, to be honest, because sure, the Lucha Brothers have been in TNA and Lucha Underground, but TNA during their run was not getting any sort of ratings numbers and Lucha Underground was in five figures. So I just like look at this and yeah, 1 million would be a good week to week metric with this, but I also think that TNT knows what they're getting themselves into. So if it does not do the huge numbers that we're hoping for, I mean, 500,000 for like what they usually would have on, on a non-sports night probably isn't that bad. I'm, I, I have talked to people who have done like the math about like what was on at that time. And, you know, it was a whole lot of like closer reruns and things of that nature. So it'll be interesting. I, I, I think that though, that they're really starting to, the way they staggered all these announcements to all out. And then now there's going to be this basically five week period up until TV that they've done a pretty good job of already having us all set up for all out now. So they could already start announcing stuff for TV or having things on the backs of what would happen at all out. Yeah. I think the absolute floor is like 200,000 people. That's what they got on WGN for the all in pre-show they were getting like 140 some thousand at its peak on BR Live. I think that's the floor. Yeah, that's uh, that's. Uh, I think Ring of Honor does more viewers across syndication than all of that. And I think we know now that Ring of Honor was a hindrance on the this talent. That brand held this talent back because they have more interest now after Ring of Honor than they did in Ring of Honor. 
same was the, you know, the same was the case for like AJ Styles. So yeah, I'm not, you know, we're, we're going to be well above that for sure. I'm just not as positive as I am about their ability to sell live tickets. I'm just as negative about their ability to get big TV ratings just because I think it's possible there's this really small, really dedicated AEW fan base. And I'm not, well, A, nobody knows, like uh, from a mainstream scale, nobody knows who Kenny Omega is. Nobody knows who the Bucks are. And yes, a lot of people know who Chris Jericho is, but they also, they knew about Chris Jericho 20 some years ago. So Jericho is maybe a draw to some people, but who else is drawing? You can't have one drawing star. So the real draw is not necessarily the talent or even like a big match here. It's that it's a major league alternative to WWE. Like Mike was talking about TNA and the Lucha Brothers there. They, they don't draw shit to TNA. Nobody watches TNA, even though they have the Lucha Brothers who are like, you know, relatively big stars. The alternative or the, the fact that there is actually real major league money and like, you know, uh, the respectable idea of a, you know, billionaire family that's, um, this is an air quotes that they can't hear, um, that's putting on this big production to take on the WWE. That's the main draw because unless you're crazy, most WWE fans do not like the WWE. <laughs> so that's, that like enhances the um, appeal of everybody on this show and everybody up and down this card. That's what's going to get people to tune in is they're going to say, Oh, well, I used to like the WWE, but it's been terrible for 10 years. So now I'm going to try this other thing. There are a couple of names in there that I recognize, and I'd like to check in with them and see what they're doing. So, I, you know, I don't think it's a case where, you know, there's 3 million John Moxley fans out there and they're just trying to get, you know, uh, uh, a third of them to tune in and try this out. You're going to be drawn from a lot of wrestling fans who have not been satisfied with wrestling in a long time. So I think that's, and that's also what sets them apart from Impact, what sets them apart from Ring of Honor. Um, you know, even ECW didn't have that advantage because there was WCW on the other channel. Like you already had that there for there. You were drawn from like the real hardcore wrestling fans. This is like, you know, you're, you're getting a slightly larger audience or a slightly larger share of however many wrestling fans there are. There are probably fewer wrestling fans now, or we know there are a few wrestling fans now, but it, you're getting a larger share of that than, than ECW would have had. So the, yeah, I think they do. I think they do well above. 500,000, you know, maybe not into the million range, but I think they're safely above 500,000. I think for them to do this, though, talking about the this greater wrestling populace, like a big thing for me is realizing like what your bubbles and what your echo chambers are. And of course, like when we go on Twitter, we have all of our followers who are saying things back to us and AEW might be very clear to them and us, but we are talking about your fan that usually just watches raw or just as like habitual i don't like to use the phrase normie fans but normie fans they're gonna have to do some sort of campaign i feel like over the next eight weeks to get it geared up for that because i've not really seen a whole lot of this other than maybe at the tcas they they, they've popped up into other just populations like blog posts message boards social media like greater things like this but i feel like that they need to have more of this kind of just branching out exposure, which I think Turner and Warner Media is good at, is get them more out there because enable for them to get like this lapsed fan that you're you're mostly re referring to, Nate. You're going to need to not rely on like your standard 
forms of YouTube and and social media like Instagram, you're about to go outwards. And I think that will be the big test over the next two months to see what is this difference that they make with these other kinds of advertising. Because if they don't, it could just be like the 200,000 people that watch the uh, WGN America all in pre show. For sure. Yeah. The, the, all my sort of estimating is assuming that, that Turner like promotes the show in yeah, a sure. significant way. Like if they don't do that, then what the fuck are they doing? Like, <laughs> like, they, and, and so far the record's been pretty good about that. Like they had the fucking ad on the NBA playoff game. Right. So mm -hmm. that's like pretty significant. If you can get the casual sports uh, fan audience to like go, huh, there's fucking Chris Jericho. And uh, I've heard of this Kenny Omega guy before. I want to see what he does. Like, then, then, then you're getting on the right track. As long as they uh, as appreciate, as Mike was pointing out earlier, I know this is going to be during baseball. As long as they appreciate that there's, I don't think there's a huge crossover between people who watch the MLB playoffs and people who want to tune in to watch AEW. I, mean, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, as Thoros uh, long ago theorized, there are two axes of wrestling fans. There's the anime axis and then the baseball axis. And all wrestling <laughs> fans fall on that uh on that spectrum somewhere so that's fair I, I mean look at how much tna tried to bring in people like aj Przinski to make baseball into a thing i mean it's tried and tried again so we'll see that's true uh friend of the show really only friend of aaron uh, my friend nathan not nate uh did jump in a couple weeks ago text me after the show and said that we all would have made really good baseball cranks if we weren't doing a show about wrestling because we were Oh, we were trying to come up with the first uh, ladder match in New Japan. Yeah. And he just said that it was a very, like, baseball crank discussion. And uh, so maybe it's true. Maybe even us. Maybe I know that Nate or that Mike is more of a baseball guy than I am these days. But I was once a pretty heavy baseball fan. So maybe, maybe it's right. I mean, I am someone who has worked for an MLB team in the past. So I feel like I have the crankiness in me to make up for Nate's hatred of baseball. So we can make it work. Fuck baseball. R.I.P. Nate Hatred. Nothing? I, that? I don't know. I was going to give him six, six, six seconds of silence. <laughs> All right. Six whole damn packs for him. <laughs> <laughs> so here's uh, one last point on this that I think is interesting is something that could hurt the ratings on the first show is that apparently as of now, they're planning on going live on the West Coast rather than playing it on delay in primetime in the West Coast. So that would be from five to seven on a Wednesday <laughs> in the West Coast. So that, that could hurt ratings. Yeah, that's tough. If you were from nine to five, you're not getting home at five o'clock to watch the show. Not but, in like L.A. <laughs> yeah. But this is the uh, morally and ethically correct thing to do because wrestling is meant to be watched live. And if you're on the West Coast and they're showing you a tape delayed show, that's old wrestling and you can't watch it. That's right. Old wrestling. Going forward after this show, we're going to get some announcements later, but right now, apparently they want to focus on uh, this show, make sure everybody's keyed in on it. Uh, then they'll start making more announcements about the other October and November shows and the next pay-per-view. Uh, I, I like this, though. We've talked about this a little on the show. A lot of AEW talent is going to be on the Jericho Cruise, which takes place January 20 to January 24. And my friends, that includes a Wednesday. So will they go live from the Jericho cruise? I don't know about live just because that might, you might run into transmission difficulties. 
I mean, obviously I know nothing about this. Maybe it's like totally easy to do a satellite from a cruise boat or something, <laughs> but are they definitely going to be taping on there? So they could definitely tape an earlier show and then, you know, get a hard copy or not a hard copy, get a copy to, to the station to air or whatever I would imagine. <laughs> but a, yeah, I mean, to the, the, uh, <laughs> I think they, uh, that was okay. Never mind. That was, um, I think they definitely are doing a show on there. I was going to make a Shirobako reference there about getting a hard copy there, but decided this wasn't the audience for it. I, I mean, yes, uh, anything can happen in international waters. So you have like the first like true, like no DQ, like non-sanctioned match because anything can happen in international waters. But yeah, uh, doing a satellite uplink, uh, I've not been on a cruise in a long time, but the internet on cruise boats are notoriously terrible. So I'm just imagining trying to do an uplink from a cruise boat unless you have some crazy equipment, which, hey, they have Turner money. Why not? But yeah, I think this would rule. I, I, they should call it AEW on Wednesday in, our, in international waters and just say anything goes because, I mean, they wanted to have that. I'm trying to think of this, the really bad Simpsons joke, and I've lost it. So Monkey knife fights. Monkey knife fights, yeah. I mean, billionaires are out here seeding the human race with their DNA. So I think if Shag Khan wants this feed to work out perfectly, he could do it. Just as an aside, what was preventing, like, we know he was doing a lot of creepy sex stuff. Nothing was stopping yeah. him from impregnating a bunch of women. That sounded like he's full of hot air there. It was obviously bullshit. Yeah. So uh, there was a story in the New York Times, I guess I have to clue in the listeners at this point, that uh, noted um billionaire sex, sex criminal and accused sex criminal no i guess he pled guilty right to at least some yeah. sex crimes yeah yeah Je jeffrey epstein friend of uh bill clinton and donald trump of course uh apparently was going around trying to talk to scientists and others as the headline said about seeding the human race with his own dna by impregnating uh, lots of women at his ranch so that's what we're talking about on this uh AEW podcast Clearly, uh, Jeff Jeffrey Epstein is in the only extended universe. I don't think that's up for debate. I don't know what was stopping him. I mean, and who's to say that he didn't? Sure. Okay. I think that's, uh, that's the extent of this conversation. All right. Let's talk about All Out. Road to All Out 3 came out this week, and it pretty much focuses exclusively on the Cody Sean Spears match. So we start out with MJF. He's talking about how he's a Cody Rhodes guy, that Cody Rhodes was the first guy to really take interest in MJF. He says the Marks call him a brown noser, but actually it's just that he and Cody are truly best friends. And he does a funny little bit where he says that his suit jacket is a little too tight. He's got to undo the button. And when he does, he shows that he's wearing a tie with a picture of Pharaoh on it. I just mimed the whole deal, even though we're on audio. Uh, he says Sean Spears only wanted to be friends with Cody so he could ride his coattails. And, uh, man, MJF really struggled with the piece of gum in his mouth as he was trying to get fired up at the end of this promo. Yeah, this screamed out to me that MJF is being entirely insincere. Like, I know that's mm. a character insincere, but between this and what happened at the offices there, it really makes me think that he's going to be the guy in his corner and he's going to turn on them and, and there'll be like an alliance between... Sean Spears, MJF, and Tully Blanchard. So that's what that's where I'm going. That's my backseat booking here. No, I think you're way off. Uh, I think he was pretty. He seemed pretty sincere in this. First of all, huge pop for the Pharaoh tie. 
made me laugh out loud. Pretty uh, incredible to uh, to make me laugh out loud when I'm watching some YouTube video at my desk. Um, but no, I think they. I think it would be wise to wait to pay off the MJF turn on Cody until way down the line, like you know, months into their TV. Then you can have a big main event program by having MJF turn on Cody. Um, and you know, I, we'll get to the, the the contract step, but I think it's I think they're you know uh, um, tipping their hand that'll be Arn Anderson and Cody's corner. All right, we see Cody out for a run with Pharaoh and uh, in other sex criminal appearances. Uh, he's in a Penn State wrestling sweatshirt. So a lot of weirdness on this episode. He signed to wrestle at Penn State. But Did he? Yeah, like before, like that was a big thing when he was in high school was he was going to go wrestle in college at Penn State and then decided to go to Hollywood instead. So there's some relevance there. He's not just making some reference. I mean, I appreciated there was probably some reference. I was... This was Dave also said this was his old high school that he was working out at and running up the bleachers. So, yeah, we get a Rocky style workout montage here with Cody uh, while it's uh, interspersed with shots of Sean Spears and Tully riding somewhere in a limo. Ultimately, yeah, so this was great. I'm sorry, I cut in. This was all like fantastic, great pro wrestling, uh, you know, television basically. Like, Looked the major league. Everything looked great. They had the cool looking drone shots for Cody going up and down the bleachers. They had like Sean Spears in a nice suit, looking like a main event guy, getting into a nice car. Like you, so you get a totally different perception of this company from watching this than you do watching Bailey giving an interview about how they're driving themselves up and down the road to the hotel every night. Like, seems this made it seem like way more of a major league. Uh, uh, sophisticated sort of product here. And also you just get the great character work. You see the distinction between Sean Spears riding around in the nice car while Cody's out, you know, doing the work as his catchphrase says and doing the Rocky stuff. Like you, you see the differences between the characters immediately and who's prioritizing what. Sean Spears and Tully end up at the AEW offices. Uh, they're clearly there to do a match signing for All Out. Nick Sobic is there and we are introduced to Mega Parekh who is a lawyer for the Jaguars and apparently now is also a lawyer for AEW. Big MVP of this, Mega Parak. Yeah, she rules. She, so, she's the best person on this, and I want her to be in everything from now on. Just, yeah, fantastic pro wrestling sort of uh, peccadillo that you have a shoot lawyer who works at your company and you make her a character in your office uh, drama show that, you know, undergirds your wrestling promotion. That's just great pro wrestling nonsense. That doesn't happen in other businesses, and you love to see it. Sean Spears and Tully sit down at a conference table with Mega Parekh and Nick Sobic, and then Nick calls Cody, who is supposed to be there, but Cody declines the call. We leave a little message for him, and we get a funny little bit with uh, with Parekh where she says, yeah, so I guess, you know, I've been a lawyer for 10 years, never had anybody sign a contract in person because it's 2019 and people just sign things and email them, which got a legit laugh out of me. And it was like a great way of like taking the piss out of the whole uh, trope of pro wrestling of doing contract signings. For sure. They're lampshading the absurdity of having a contract signing for a match like this, um, which just makes you like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll give them a pass because it's absurd, but they, they know it. So, uh, and yeah, she like delivered it well for a non-actor too. Like it just seemed like genuine stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, this whole segment was great. 
I was going to say, I should note that uh, there's a whiteboard in the background, as everybody knows, who's watching any of these row twos. And here are a few things we see. More blood and guts in all caps, which we'll talk about later. Uh, Harrington dress code. So apparently they don't think Mookie is uh, dressing up to snuff, folks. I'll say that when I met Mookie at Double or Nothing, he, he was dressed very sharp. It, it might be a flat cap thing. I mean, he's someone who loves the flat cap. And <laughs> it, this isn't Boardwalk Empire, and he's not Al Capone. So. Uh, there's a note about someone called Chad Glenn. So Nobody I, seems to know who that is. Oh, well, I guess nobody did a basic Google search because the first <laughs> the first result that comes up, when, or at least that came up for me, you know, granted Google controls for whatever else you're looking at. If I Googled Chad Glenn and I got his LinkedIn page, director of finance at all the wrestling LLC. Um, and I've got some of his old credits here. He was the president and owner of Redbox plus of Jacksonville, which uh, was a uniquely designed portable toilet and roll off dumpster combo together with excellent customer service. <laughs> all right. That owns. <laughs> uh, he, he worked at web.com um, in finance. He uh, was the director of, SEC and external reporting for Body Central Core. Um, worked at BAE Systems, formerly Armor Holdings. Um, I'm sorry, he worked for the Being an Elitist podcast? <laughs> becoming an Elitist podcast. Yes. <laughs> oh, um, and it uh, looks like he started uh, a, a Florida grad, uh, fuck the Gators, and then started at PricewaterhouseCoopers. Yeah. Real grifter hours here from uh, Chad Glenn. I, I lost all respect I had for Chad Glenn when I found out that he was a Florida <laughs> alum. We are yeah. less than four weeks away from week zero. So go Kane. Hey guys, go Kane. this is, this might be the one thing we all agree on. This is an anti-Florida podcast. What are, your fe- what are your feelings on Ohio State? I hate Ohio State. All right. I live two in things. Kentucky, man. Uh, well, I, I was going to say, we got two things in common. Uh, Excellent. I'm, my family's from Ohio. Conflicted. No. No, no conflict. But uh, the the thing I wanted to say before was I love how they're pulling in these people from the Jaguars into the company. And it's like, all right, Nick Sobek, now you're the COO. Mega Parekh, you are now the... uh, you're now the lawyer. And just like the fact that there's been kind of an underlying thing during these road twos where they just are somewhat befuddled and bemused by, oh, so this is what happens in the wrestling industry now. And I just like that. I hope this continues on throughout the history of the promotion maybe get like the concessions person in there like let's just get it go all out let's do this she even had a little comment about how like bizarre it's been you know to be a lawyer uh, in a pro, pro wrestling company so that was good yeah it, it kind of grounds the whole thing and gives you a nice like foundation of realism to work on yes but it's also weird in a way to me of like he's i mean all these people are still doing their jobs for the jaguars right I just feel like there's going to be a lot of people stretched thin as this uh, continues. That's Couldn't all. tell That's you. Okay, last I have a lot of hours to kill at work, so I think That's other true. people do too. Last whiteboard point, Havoc TNT standards. Uh, so this is kind of a in conflict with more blood and guts because it seems like they're telling uh, Jimmy Havoc that he's going to have to uh, pay attention to the TNT standards. This is a little WCW joke also. Uh, about I was going to say maybe they're – Maybe they're bringing Miss Hancock back to manage him. <laughs> Maybe. She was standards and practices for TNT. Indeed. Okay. Then we see, as they're waiting on Cody, Tully Blanchard says, you know, Cody had all these people walk to the ring with him at 
all in. And he says, that's fine, whatever, but only one of them should be able to stay in his corner. Then we see Cody getting uh, putting on a suit. He gets into his car. He rides to the offices. He walks in, signs the contract, uh, refuses to read it or uh, respond to any questions, looks Sean Spears in the eye, and then turns around and walks out. Great little piece of pro wrestling here. Yeah, great piece of business. Um, they did like the good groundwork of establishing this this step where each guy gets one guy in their corner. They sort of justified it by pointing out that Cody had a whole entourage at All In and his other shows and a dog, et cetera. Uh, and great character stuff from Cody, like Sean Spears' persona non grata to him, walks in, doesn't acknowledge him, just like, you know, I'm doing business here. Whereas Sean Spears trying to make this personal because his whole thing is that he felt disrespected by him personally. So he's on the other side of the table like, hey, you know, I'm trying to get into this shit with you because this is about me and you. But Cody's not giving what he wants. All right. That's the road to all out three. And I just made that match official. So one more fun little thing from this week when the WWE quarterly uh, call investor call was going on this week. Uh, Vince McMahon was asked about edgy content, particularly with greater restrictions on network prime time, you know, as that relates to SmackDown and their uh, move coming up soon on TV. And McMahon said, uh, we're going to be a bit edgier, but still remain in the PG environment. I went on to say, but at the same time, we're not going to go back to the bold attitude era and we're not going to do blood and guts and things of that nature, such as being done on perhaps a new potential competitor. That was pretty interesting. And then he went on to say, uh, without saying AEW, he said, as far as competition is concerned, competition is good for everyone. Although, again, we're hoping that to the extent they are competition, that they don't continue on blood and guts and gory things that they have been doing. And I can't imagine, I can't speak for it, but I can't imagine that TNA would put up with that. So there's some suggestion that this was just a, a, a shot at trying to make sure advertisers don't come onto the show. Uh, but it's, as uh, Dave Meltzer pointed out, pretty interesting that Vince is trying to position WWE as the sophisticated product while AEW is the blood and guts and, uh, you know, lower class product, essentially. So, yeah, they uh, reference this in the All Out episode or the Road 2 episode, obviously. And they just posted another promo from Cody on their Twitter uh, right before the on-sale date for the tickets, where he basically, you know, cut a promo straight into the camera ahead of him, talking about where the promotion started and proving people wrong and then proving people right. Uh, and then just goes into a whole thing about blood and guts and basically saying, yeah, you know, we are going to be blood and guts. He was owning it, saying, we're going to be blood and guts. You know, this is pro wrestling. It's always been in our blood and guts, like, Pretty good, you know, little counter proposal here. And again, just looks like a million bucks in a suit, staring straight into the camera. Couldn't be more major league. Um, so just, you know, again, nice little response to uh, the other side trying to do Vince McMahon pro wrestling tactics. So we've got a wrestling war. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's notable that he never really targeted TNA when TNA was going after them with the big Monday night switch and bringing all the old names in. But he actually felt the need to acknowledge it there. And if I'm T, if I'm TNT, it makes sense why you'd be frustrated with it because TNT, the two ways that they're bringing in revenue here is going to be from advertisers and be our live share. So this is hitting them right in the pocketbook and right as, because one of the big things about the TCAs last week was also to 
introduce people to these advertisers and for figures like the bucks the elite like they're completely new figures and he was trying to warp it immediately because i believe this this uh press conference their qt happened less than 24 hours after that after they had the tcas so they had a good 24-hour media cycle and Vince McMahon was trying to immediately put a damper on it. And I think that's something that has to be kept in mind when discussing this. It was, it was a time frame thing as well. Yeah, but it is clarifying. I appreciate Vince McMahon doing this because it just draws the, it further draws the distinction between the two promotions. It clarifies that there are two opposing and competing sides, which is important uh, because it ultimately... I just don't think there are going to be AEW and WWE fans, at least not in great number. There are going to be WWE fans and there are going to be AEW fans and they're going to hate each other. And uh, the people who run these companies are going to hate each other. It's going to be good for everybody. Yeah. Hate is great. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're right. It, it, and I think that Cody was smart to own it and say, you know, there's how many fucking YouTube videos over the past 20 years have had a, you know, million times upvoted comment that's like WWE sucks. It's PG now, right? That's like a main complaint of like your low information wrestling fans. Um, so smart of Cody, he like owned and said, no, you know, we are going to be blood and guts, but like framed it in sort of a classy way where it's not like we're not literally puking our guts out there, but it's going to be mature. Uh, I think we know the TV is going to be TV 14. So great. Set that distinction and, and set yourself apart. And you're going to appeal to all those people who are tired of the WWE. All right. We have a few notes on some talent and uh, people signing, people changing jobs. Uh, Marco Stunt, AW announced that they've signed Marco Stunt. He's going to be part, continue to be part of the Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus Act. I thought we were all done with Marco Stunt, so I was pretty surprised to see him involved at all. Uh, apparently, uh, Gunnar Scott wasn't. Gunner Miller. Gunner Miller. Gunner, I thought a different Gunner. Sorry, my bad. Gutter Miller wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Gunner Miller is a dumb dumb who posted this big dumb thing about how major league promotions are signing guys who are 5'2 and 115 pounds and not me. And that's dumb or something. I, I don't know. Southern wrestling was never a thing. Let's just get that out there. And not my, since working Smoky Mountain theory, <laughs> My working theory is that the Bucks paid Gunner Miller to make the bad post because now it babyfaces Marco Stunt to all the people who like um you know don't really care about him because now he's like a victim of bullying and size discrimination and stuff uh yeah i do uh somebody posted that adding marco stunt to the boy and his dinosaur act is kind of gilding lily like you already kind of have the act there of tall guy and a short guy and now you have another short guy kind of maybe is too much kind of makes it a, a step too complicated but he, he is also somebody who's catches people's eyeballs and uh, is a fresh sort of act for people that have not been following GCW and et cetera for however many years. So, you know, I, uh, I not a guy whose matches I'll look forward to on weekly TV, but uh, you know, they've done a good job of like making Sean Spears interesting on their show. So I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt until they fuck it up big time. All right, Bryce Rimsburg, the referee, announced that he signed a multi-year contract as a referee, but also as an office employee. So Bryce Rimsburg is going to be sticking around. I just want to know, like, how big this office is. It seems like everybody's signed to an office job. Yeah, can we get an org chart, please? Like, Which, I need... God bless them. I mean, I yeah. appreciate that they're, you know, turning these people into employees, but what's everybody doing? 
I mean, I have to imagine that eventually, like, Chuck Taylor is going to be in the production team, you know, he's going to be up there doing that. He's, I don't got, know. he's got a degree, yeah. Yeah, he's got a degree in, in communications. I mean. Murray State, go Racers. Go Racers. But uh, I don't know what you're going to do with Trent Beretta. I don't know what job you could possibly give him in, in, in an office place. But, hey, I mean, I guess this well, means. It can be like Abercrombie. He can stand out front with his shirt off. I was going to say he could run Transpo for them and handle everybody's rental cars since he's an expert on rental cars. I mean, he's expert at renting cars, not necessarily returning them, though. <laughs> All right. But yeah, Bryce rules. Always rolled, and I'm excited for him. That's yeah, good. It's good. We learned that Chris Van Vliet is going to be a backstage interviewer. We don't know if he's completely replacing Jen Decker or the one-time mentioned but never actually seen Alicia Atout. But we do know he's going to be doing she, some backstage interviewing. She was at Double or Nothing, but since then, she hasn't been around. But yes, our good, close, and personal friend, Chris Van Vliet, is up there doing Miami Proud. So, yeah. Golden Boy is teasing an announcement about Golden Boy. It seems like maybe he's going to be joining commentary? He's a very busy person. He was doing the Fortnite World Cup last week, and Fortnite just announced that they're doing their own big thing that I could see them swooping in. Like, But when he made this announcement, this was like right in the middle of the Fortnite World Cup. I think he should join and be a permanent member of the commentary team. Like, it would be good. So, yeah. But then they also did a, like a feature on Alex Marvez today I saw on their Twitter, so I don't get the sense that they're like replacing him. I don't know. I'm just confused. As to what Golden Boy is going to be doing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a mess, I feel like, with all their broadcast personalities as of the moment. It doesn't bother me at all to have a lot of people available to them. It's nice to have a rotation, maybe, if you want to put some fresh faces in there or rotate people out if their schedules allow or don't allow if they're off doing video games. So, yeah, you know, if they have the goods to, to be a compelling television personality, then I say do it. That is... They've also like kind of made their referees a character on things, either through the social media or like, you know, uh, actually on BT and stuff, which is like another interesting thing that sets them apart from the WWE where the referees are all robots and the backstage interviewers are all robots. Like, hey, why not have more characters bouncing off each other? It's supposed to be a business about characters, right? So go for it. After we mentioned last week that Riho was going to be exclusive to stardom in AEW, well, we learned this week that she's going to be going to Tokyo Joshi Pro. So apparently not exclusive to stardom at all, but still kind of in the yeah. AEW axis. Yeah, blame I'm... Dave for that one because that was yeah. right from the Observer. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tokyo Joshi Pro and stardom are both in the uh, Codyverse. So yeah, n nothing changes on our end. I'm very confused about what the like web looks like now. We talked about this early on on this show about how different promotions were affiliated. So we know that last week, Triple H went to Japan and met with every promotion that would meet with mm -hmm. him. And that was basically everybody except New Japan, right? Like uh, you're vaguely major league Japanese Yeah, and to my knowledge, Dave only reported on Dragon Gate. It was a lot more than just Dragon Gate. So Yeah, we, we've heard that he met with a lot of different promotions. Mm -hmm. uh, and that apparently included stardom. And the reason why this is relevant to what we're talking about, I promise that it is, is that stardom seems to have this AEW relationship. We have B Priestley, who's a uh, red belt champion, and uh, you know she's kind of working both ways. we got this deal with Riho now, but then they're also clearly 
Fed affiliated. They bring in Tony Storm, Zaya Brookside. They bring in a lot of NXT UK people. Mm-hmm. I'm just very confused at where where they sit in this web. Oh, if we were going to try to like you get out all different colored string out and like make like a full wall posting of this, it would be an absolute mess right now because you could say, okay, Dragon Gate. They had Akira Tozawa show up at their big show. They met with Triple H, but also their former champion is AEW affiliated. And then you also have their former half of their company is definitely AEW affiliated. And then it's also affiliated with half of Japan outside of Dragon Gate. It's a mess right now in the wrestling industry. That's all I'm trying to say. Complete and utter mess. Yeah, it's fun. It is fun. I mean, the funny part is that stardom ostensibly has the working relationship with ring of honor and they have no ring of honor women whatsoever. They just send their women over to ring of honor. Occasionally. I feel like I point this out all the time, but yeah, there's more WWE women in AEW in stardom than there are ring of honor women, even though that's supposedly their partner, just bizarre um, and funny. Uh, But yeah, I think, you know, stardom just wants the, wants the, uh, the attention Rossi wants to, to be feted and dined as much as possible. is probably the truth. He wants more, Baseball hats from other companies. But you know what? <laughs> Speaking of affiliations, you know what affiliation will not be showing up in AEW, guys? Uh, 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 unsanctioned Pro. CMLL, because this weekend is also Triple A, Triple Mania. How do you like that segue? I had to do this because I know that Aaron will refuse to watch the show. Nate and I will watch the show because this is usually the most fun show of the year. Triple Mania is this Saturday. You could watch it on Twitch. They will have English commentary. Vampiro may or may not be a member of the commentary team. We do not know. No one knows. But yeah, I got some big Vampiro news. He's coming to IWA Mid South, folks. Are you Are you going to give money to Ian Rotten? Uh, I've done it before. I'm not <laughs> proud of it. We've all made bad wrestling decisions in our life. <laughs> but it's like I mean, I'm assuming that he that Vampiro no shows. Well, yeah, of course. But oh, no, he's he's been like begging for bookings. I think he needs the money. <laughs> I almost feel like I have to go if he's there. Like, how often do you get to see this stage of Vampiro live in like a flea market? There's there's no way to know because he keeps saying that he has dementia and Alzheimer's and stuff. Like he could <laughs> he could you know it could be around the corner. Um, I I mean, first Ian Rotten's son runs a match that was so bloody that might have lost them like all of wrestling in that town. And now they're going to bring in someone who may or may not have Parkinson's or dementia. Like this is rare form for even Ian Rotten. But apparently there's like a feud between Ian Rotten and his son. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Triple like, well, no, 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 no. I, this I, is I love wrestling. Good. I love wrestling. I, I was reading about the whole the thing where, uh, I don't know exactly what happened, but there was blood at a Ian Rotten's son show. I don't know his name. I'm sorry. And there was and, a suspected HIV infection or something. Yeah, there was someone. No, Pepsi, I think. Pepsi, yeah. Oh, I'm and sorry. but uh, yeah, but apparently it was part of the point of this show was to like run opposite of a IWA Mid South show or something like because they're feuding with each other. I, I just love it. It's a, a long time from when he had his son break light tubes over a poor backyarder's neck in a match. Dark days. Anyway, Vampiro well, is really as... bad at commentary. I know it's like ironically funny and like it's kind of a shit show, but it's also like just bad. Yes. Um, but this Triple A show is actually looking a whole lot of fun. I mean, it, I mean, it will it will be riveting to see what kind of shit he says about AEW because I'm sure he'll say something. Um, if he's well, there. 
my struggle will probably literally beg for a job i have to imagine right yeah my guess but like the show itself on one team we have cody rhodes psycho Clown, and kane velasquez making his pro wrestling debut and that's going to be a mess uh sammy guevara is going for the uh triple a world mixed tag team titles and then they're running back the main event from fighter fest at uh for the for triple mania it won't be the main event of the show because there's an apuesta but if you're around saturday night at about nine o'clock eastern about because they run these things late this is usually a really kind of crazy fun show and we finally get to see tarus again against cody rhodes so it'll be a lot of fun i think yeah, AAA is great because you get like legitimately good talent, and then you also just get like the absolute dog shit wrestling that's just incredible to watch, and you remember it forever. So, all right, well, I think that's all the wrestling news from this week that we're going to talk about. Of uh, before we move on, how much of this show, if I got, if you found a version of it, will you be willing to watch? AB, when when is it? <laughs> Saturday. Saturday. Uh, I'm probably none. I mean, what here's exactly what would happen. I would be like, yeah, I'll watch it. And I would turn it on at 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. And I would watch like the first match. And I'd be like, mm. and then I'd watch the second match. And I'd be like, mm. and I'd be like yeah, I'm, I'm not watching any more of this. That's what would happen. What if I told you that uh, good chance at Scarlett Bordeaux is in the second match? I would then make sure to watch through the second match. I mean, there's a big storyline going on right now for the World Mixed Tag Team Championship that she is a part of a four-way match for. And she's teaming with Sammy Guevara. I mean, that's important for the show. Yeah. I don't know that it is. I mean, Sammy has brought his AAA titles to shows, so it's content. Mm. Well, I'm glad you guys are going to watch it and tell the listeners all about it next week. I'm actually not promising. Like, there's a pretty good chance I'll be playing Fire Emblem all night. Um, I don't like to play portable because, like, the Switch is not actually good for playing portable games. Like, the text is always too small. It it runs poorly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a pretty good chance if I don't get up to anything else, I'll be doing that on the TV instead. Okay, great update. Um, okay, I think that's it. So, as you know, there was another kind of big story, but we don't talk about that. So, I think all that's left is uh, being the elite. If you're wondering what that is, he's talking about CM Punk, just if you're like a new a new listener who does not know the lore, um, just so you don't think there's an actual big story we're not talking about. No, we, anyway. we, we don't address CM Punk. Uh, unless he signs a contract with AEW. BTE number 163. This is a private party. So this episode opens. It's Nick Jackson's birthday. Um, but all the kids roast him, and, and instead of wishing him a happy birthday, they say, Cerro Miedo, and do the little hand sign. So little cute thing for the all-out match. And we get a little travelogue, travelogue and backstage footage of all the uh, wrestlers at the TCA event. Um, very funny segment where Cody literally tied Matt Jackson's tie on him as though they were father and son or something. Just thought it was a very funny distillation of the, uh, you know, their relationship and the difference between them. It's always, you know, Cody's like suit every day sort of guy and Matt Jackson's like doing trampoline flips in the desert or whatever the fuck. This was just very amusing to me. This has been talked about before, but it's truly amazing that Cody walked out of WWE. Nobody like, you know, on our type of fans were interested in Cody. And then he catches on with the Young Bucks. I don't want to say he did it like, you know, with this in mind, but 
I think he was smart enough to figure out that he was going to have to uh, dig into a new type of fan if he was going to be successful on the indies. And now it's like, you know, this whole thing, it's bizarre. Well, if you want to blame or credit someone, credit Kevin Owens, because Kevin Owens said, go talk to my friends, Matt and Nick, you'll like them that they will take care of you. And that's pretty much what led to this. So if anyone is truly like the, uh, the fire starter for what would eventually become AEW, it's Kevin Owens, which is something that's even more wild to think about that. He's a guy that would be so great in this kind of thing, but he's never going to leave WWE. But the, the big thing about this that, and I think I said this before, it frustrates me that like Cody is like teaching these two 30 year olds. Cause now Nick's 30, like, okay, tie your tie and also don't wear basketball sh- don't wear sneakers like at like a big press event with like with like he just like was wearing like a nick was wearing like a really bad suit and it was bothering me so much whenever i saw like the press photos of him and his dunks on it just i don't know it just felt really i don't know cheap maybe i don't know you, you can wear sneakers with suits now but at it's, least like him cool. but his i'm sorry i'm not like a i'm like a old school like suit and tie like cody dresses up like that's like whenever i dress up it's like that but do you do you wear a suit and tie to work mike no i don't okay um no it doesn't like uh, i prefer they be authentic and just be their you know weird california desert selves and not get into a suit if that's not true to who they are for cody it's right on brand with who he is and who he presents himself as the vice president guy there is definitely like a long piece to be written about all the various minor failures of the WWE and how they directly catalyze the creation of AEW going back to like Kenny Omega and FCW going back to Judas Draven and FCW and you know uh becoming Luchasaurus going back to fucking CM Punk and uh and Colt Cabana you know uh, uh giving pro wrestling tees a, a kickstart and all that shit like all their various failures really coalesced into Cody and the Young Bucks and and starting this uh, nascent promotion. Anyway, I would um, even say yeah. firing Daniel Bryan the first time, and the way that that like ignited uh, the beginnings of Ring of Honor, and kind of like set off the oh that before type the of independent NXT wrestling firing. scene that the 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 pre uh, Nexus firing. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Anyway. I was at that. Nexus debut that he choked out Justin Roberts, who Justin ended. Roberts now an AEW talent. Yeah, that was a like the last WWE show that I actually remember going to and afterwards leaving and being like, okay, this is something. So. Yeah, didn't it didn't pay off. Yeah, Chuck. All right, uh, we get some backstage photo shoots. Um, Kenny and Tony being interviewed by someone. They plug in basically that whole TNT trailer that they uh, also tweeted and stuff. Uh, then we go to a little segment with Private Party. They're by a bar, and the Bucks walk up, and they want to join them at the bar, but they get shut out by Atlas Security. And uh, Atlas Security says, no, this is a private party, man. So nice little character uh, establishment for Private Party here. This also brought to mind the bit that I could not remember from Fight for the Fallen was Jabali was sitting with Private Party and got kicked out because it was a private party, and that's why Jabali got kicked out of his show. Anyway, so Matt and Nick get mad because they just signed these guys and now they, you know, they're making all this money and they've changed. This is much like the SCU storyline where they changed because of the money, which kind of got dropped maybe. Um, so they have, they go to throw their own super kick party, but private party beats them to the kick. Uh, and then this is a promo, a little setup for their house of glory uh, match coming up. All right. Then we get uh, Kaz and Daniels 
who are confronting Jungle Boy. Um, and they say, you know, this is where the big boys play. Listen to the adjective play. That's a little Kevin Nash reference from back in the day where he didn't know what an adjective was. But uh, Jungle Boy it starts to rise. Turns out he's being lifted by Luchasaurus from underneath as the gimmick goes. They do a little a funny bit here where Daniels goes to one up them and try to tries to lift Kaz, but he doesn't get the the orientation correct, and he just carries Kaz around upside down instead. That was kind of funny. And now we go to a BT mailbag. I thought that was a really funny bit. I did this. I know like the SEU bits. Sometimes they do the same thing, but having them just kind of just do a whole bunch of like tombstone pile driver reversals as ways of not being able to get someone up on their shoulders was hilarious. I liked it a lot. I also enjoyed Luchasaurus at the end of this saying to Jungle Boy, hey, if we ever fight like that, let's just break up. But that was pretty funny. And BT Mailbag, stupid little jingle. Uh, we open with Britt Baker, as previously discussed. She's asked how her concussion recovery has been going. And she basically says she's hoping to get cleared any day now. Uh, Dave had a whole thing in the Observer about how there is theory that women suffer from concussions more acutely from men based on brain differences or something. I don't know why I mentioned that, but it was in there. Uh, and then we go to Chris Daniels with his dog Nugget again. I think the dog's name was Nugget. We saw previously in the Shima match buildup. And he's got a really got a cut eye. It's like really looks pretty bad. And he's asked if he still does the Waterworld show at Universal Studios. This is, of course, the famous Waterworld show at Universal Studios. One of the best stunt shows, I would say, at a theme park. It's really this one or the Indiana Jones one. Aaron, as a as a family member to a theme park connoisseur, have you seen a lot of stunt shows? Uh, no, my wife is solely a Disney connoisseur, not a theme park. Really, she will not will not touch a Universal Studios park. No, that's not true. It's just that, I mean, like we go and do, uh, or we have done Halloween Horror Nights, which I think is a Universal thing. The problem is, I have no real understanding of the difference, and so I will say like, "Oh, you went to Disney," and somebody be like, "No, it was Universal," and I don't. It doesn't mean anything to me. So. I don't know the difference, basically, is what I'm saying. Well, it's all, you know, everything under the sun is Disney. So you really just got to carve out the few exceptions for Universal. Anyway, uh, and he says, yeah, he, he still does it, but he's not the full-time guy or even the part-time guy anymore. So he rarely does it. I think he said like Wednesdays when he happens to be doing it and nobody else is doing it. I don't know. That's about to thought change. He, thought he kind of looked like uh, Dana White here. Yeah, his eye and all of this, like... He and the camera angle he had, like a Dana White, just kind of real, I don't know how to describe it other than Dana White. It was a very not Christopher Daniels look on him. Yeah, he, his like face looked fuller maybe because it was swelling or something, and he looked right. a little older. It made him really look like Dana White. Yeah, but I would love, I, I just think that's cool that, he does, that he's done that. I mean, now he's not going to be able to do it on Wednesdays, but the fact he's like, oh, yeah, I'm a stuntman as well. And I knew that he did stunts before. And he also did a lot of motion capture work. So I think Christopher Daniels is an interesting person to me. So I, I like this, him talking about that. I want to go back to Britt Baker for just a second. Do you all, this occurred to me because I was working on something else today. Do you all remember that she was on the stardom show in New York? Yes. She, that, was, she was in a match against Konami. Of course I remembered. That's true. <laughs> that had totally like left my brain until today. So bizarre. Yeah. Oh, she, she's on tours, right? Or maybe one yeah. tour. Okay. Yeah, she yeah. used. Yeah, she used to go to Star. Yeah, uh, I don't think she's done a tour since she left Ring of Honor, though. So, 
All right. And we go to Chris Jericho. He has agreed to do a BTE mailbag segment after intense negotiations with his team. Um, he was asked if his contract was offered via text. And he does. He says, oh, it's kind of a little bit of a smart ass remark based on some recent news that we will not discuss. Uh, but he says, Tony Khan does not have his number. He made him call his 1 800 number, which he apparently has like Bill Murray, uh, according to lore. Uh, and he also says in here, he basically gives a long diatribe about all the machinations that were required to get him to agree. He says that he has his own airfield in here, which was kind of funny. Uh, says that he basically has full creative control over the entire company, but says everything you see that's good in AEW is me. Anything bad is something that I'm not involved in. Just, you know, very, you know, it's obviously like all extemporaneous him speaking off the top of his head and, and doing character work and funny little jokes here. So pretty much what you want from Chris Jericho at this point. Um, and I also appreciate that his BTE character like matches who he is being on all the other uh, uh, forms of media, the in-ring Chris Jericho, the New Japan Chris Jericho. They're all, you know, sort of related to this guy. And at one point there's like a bunch of truck noise because he seems to be out on like a loading dock or like behind a building or something somewhere. And he, he goes to the effort and says, oh, that you know, that noise was a semi-truck that pulled up in the middle of my promo full of paparazzi. And then he starts talking to someone off camera and says, we'll sign anything for the fans. Just like, Oh yeah, no, there is like Chris Jericho is like a funny little character and a funny guy. So that was that. And then we go to a little pool promo from the bucks uh, talking about selling out the first TV show. And they just do a summer montage of them doing a bunch of flips off the diving board. I don't think this is their pool. I don't think we've seen this pool before. This seems like somebody else's pool. Um, and then at the very end, there's, they do their little cartoon outro, and the Lucha Brothers popped up the end and said, like, the es Escalera de Muerte line, I think. It was kind of a surprise. Muerte. Muerte. I thought, I thought that's what I said last time when you gave me shit about it. No, you it. said Muerte again. Like <laughs> I must have. Okay. It's fine. I never took Spanish. I took French. Obviously. <laughs> that was it. Maybe it's a new pool. I mean, they got all this money now. It looked like a different backyard, though. I think they have a bigger backyard. Maybe one of them who didn't have a pool before put in a pool, rolling in that TNT money now. Maybe. All right. Well, that's BTE, <laughs> and I guess that's the show. Uh, anything else you guys want to jump into before we get out I of here? I did a lot of other content if you're interested in Dragon Gate over the last few weeks, so go check that out. Yes. Uh, I do, do want to shout out our five-star review. From friend of the show, uh, John Neve. Thank you, John. Um, he says it's an elite podcast. He enjoys my anti-WWE rants. So that sort of goes contrary to what I talked about last week and trying to be more sociable with WWE fans. So I guess I'll have to start burying them more. Shout out to Mike's Dragon System coverage. Aaron's got the great energy and you're part of the Momo Watanabe hive. So I think the, the show ending request has to be a Momo Watanabe discussion, right? So Momo had a had her big red belt shot at B Priestley. So there is some AEW tie-in here. It was so the show was interesting because it was uh, Arisa Hoshiki who beat Momo for the white belt had a match before that, and it's funny that that completely made Arisa a, a heel forever to me because <laughs> I was like a small child just like hanging on every uh, near fall hoping she was going to lose. And then I was the same in the B Momo match of just like, I kind of thought Momo was going to win going into it. I was, I stayed completely unspoiled and I thought she was going to win, uh, but she didn't. And so it was a real heartbreaker for me. 
I thought it was pretty obvious when the match got announced with the five-star GP coming up that she was going to lose and then win the GP. Like, that's what I was expecting, at least. But, yeah, no, I, I like that the Arisa match more so than usual. Like, I thought that was actually a fun one. And, you know, B in uh, Stardom versus B elsewhere is very interesting because of she is the Red Belt champion, but it's not necessarily like how Tony Storm was as Red Belt champion, from what I to understand. So, well, she's not uh, over at all. I was trying Stardom? to be polite about. It. I was trying to be polite about it. Like whenever I see like like Queen's Quest versus TCS, she always has the least amount of streamers, and that's even. She with, gets no streamers. It blows my mind. Yeah, zero streamers. It will, she, it, it will, people with like Zoe Lucas and and Bobby Tyler who will get like a ton. Like Zoe gets like a ton of streamers. Like in you know, that kind of makes sense. But B, who's now been there, what? She's been full-time now for about four months, but she's been there pretty consistently for two and a half years now, or it feels like. Yeah. So one streamer. Like and one. she never loses. As right. she pointed out before this match, Momo was the last person to pin her, and that was two Cinderella tournaments ago. I mean, she's uh, been pushed heavily, but it just hasn't... I mean, she gets decent reactions during the matches, but it just hasn't... Uh, she's just not gotten over her knee strikes over her jumping knee. Like whenever she like, whenever she hit it on Momo, that was like a big moment in the match. Yeah. So. Her offense is great, but uh, yeah, I gotta, gotta find some sort of appeal for an idol promotion. Kind of my only uh, stardom take is there was that one time Nicole Savoy got streamers and she would like never get any streamers. And one time she got streamers and she was like super happy about it. And that's a, that was a great little moment. Yeah. I think, I think it makes sense that the, foreign talent has a little bit harder of a time getting over mm -hmm. there. And it's mostly like, not that B isn't, um, you know, traditionally attractive because she is, but it's like the cuter. It's like Zaya Brookside. Who's like yeah. eight, right. 18 Zaya's and a fairy princess. Yeah. Super over. Mm -hmm. So, and, and nowhere near as good as B is at this point in her career. So yeah, it's just, a different thing and you know b goes with like the the really dark hair look and more of like a gothy type look which may just not be as as over generally uh, in japan so i don't like I don't the, fascinating the, the scary mask thing that she was doing that, well, did, that doesn't seem screamers to me yeah. scream stream that doesn't scream <laughs> streamers to me but, but yeah. at the same time like there was um maho karune at tokyo joshi pro who played the zombie girl for so yeah, since retired. Yeah, now since retired. So like that's not like something that's completely alien to them. But I guess Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to put my finger on it because she gets uh she's so well protected, has gotten such a push, and clearly the company is really behind her. So right. you have to wonder because we know uh, Rossi's deal, you have to wonder if she still sells some merch, even though she's uh doesn't appear to be as over on the shows. And she's got the big uh Priestly top gaijin t-shirts i mean she's got the t-shirt she's got the boots and they make sure you know each time she's announced that she is top gaijin so that's right and she is are there, so. are there any challenges or is it just the uh, grand prix coming up we you don't know, have any challenges announced because there's a uh, high speed oh sure but the, yeah we haven't gotten anything for the the big belts announced uh riho did show up on this last corrigan and said that she's going to start mm -hmm. with stardom at the next Corican. So she's going to freshen up uh, the, the scene and maybe jump into a, 
a title match soon. Yeah, she got. I think they pretty much announced it's going to be Death Yamasan versus Starlight Kid and uh, Riho for the high right. speed at eight ten. Right. And it looks like she's going to be in Queen's Quest, so she's dead to me. Sure. Yeah, Arisa after she won did a thing like, "Oh, am I going to?" Well, B said that she wants to challenge Utami next, so we are getting that. We know we're going to get B Utami. Oh no, it's Jungle Kiona for white belt. That's right. I'm all fucked up here. Uh, <laughs> as I was talking, I remembered the BU Tommy challenge. But yeah, right. Jungle's coming up next. That should be good. It's that a great promotion, be. I think. Yeah, I, I'm glad that 2019 I've gotten into Joshi because because between this and Suri with three E's, I've really enjoyed it as like my respite outside of the Dragon System this year. So yeah, Suri rules. I just never will get my Triangle Lancer T-shirt. Apparently, no. Did you love? Um, Hana negging you by wearing the Triangle Lancer t-shirt on the most recent Stardom show? I, I haven't seen that show yet. The one from uh, Kanazawa, right? Oh, no. No, I, on the Corican. Oh. In, in I, the, uh, the pre-match promo for her match, she has the Triangle Lancer t-shirt on. <sighs> now, Aaron, were you the person sending greet messages into Hana's DMs? Um, I'm not sure. I'm a lawyer. That's, that's true. But I'm not a, a lawyer in japan so i don't really want to speak on things that i'm not sure what the uh legal consequences could be so i'm not going to have a comment on that at this time prudent very prudent thank you okay so that's a little bit of stardom where we totally screwed up who the next challengers were but we ultimately got it to it so i think that was worth it yeah shout out to our real joshi head mike spears for getting that stuff right <laughs> Of all people, considering what my mind has been at for the last three weeks, how am I the one who's more aware of Joshi than Aaron Bentley? I'm sorry, I missed that completely. I just read, <laughs> I, <laughs> I just read a Slack message and just zoned out. I'm sorry. Can you, can you hit me with that again, Mike? Oh, no, I, I just was saying how with my last three weeks with Kobe World and all the stuff that I've been doing for Dragon Gate, am I more up on what the next matches are going to be in starting than Neo? How? I'm owned again. I like do real Thoros hours and like post the next card sometimes. Um, I know. Wow. And this, I don't even know about. It's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed. Get it together. Hana's never going to love me. Okay. Well, I think that's all. <laughs> I think that's a good place to quit. Uh, everything. Maybe, maybe even before that would have been good. <laughs> I already have edit notes that I'm making. I don't know about that end, though. We are going to Japan, so it's frightening. Okay. Twitter, at EverythingAEW. Follow it. I'm at Aaron like the car. Mike is at Fujiheya. Nate is at Epitasis. Make sure you subscribe to the show, either our independent feed, Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice, or the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can get our show along with many other fine shows. I think that's it. Rate us and review us. Make sure you subscribe and check back with us uh, next time. So for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron, and we will see you next week.
here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. You should be saving for the future, but savings accounts suck, and investing can be scary. We combine the ease of savings with the real returns of investing. We call it Save Vesting, and it's only available in our new app, Stairs. Stairs offers 4 to 6% returns, no fees, and you can withdraw anytime. Do your future a favor. Visit stairsapp.com today.